Let us pray. Gracious Father, once again we come before You and thank You for this opportunity of worshiping You. Help us as we endeavor to study Your Word. Pray that You would take the Scriptures and apply them to our heart and soul as only You can. The preacher can have his say. But only You can sanctify the truth to the heart. We confess our weakness not only because of age and health in some ways even the frailty of the body and now that we have uh, eaten somewhat for the nourishment of our soul of our body we know that that can somehow hinder us and cause us to have weakness in our physical bodies. But I do pray, my God, that You would uh, bless us to overcome that in such a way that we might be able to focus our minds and our attention upon the worship of You. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry about that. I didn't think about turning that phone off. Anyway, we come back to 1 John uh, chapter 14. uh, Excuse me, chapter (laughs) 4. Not 14. And looking at this verse... uh, really still looking at this verse 18 we spoke somewhat where he said there is no fear in love and as you know we focused somewhat our attention this morning uh, uh, on the fear of God and that one aspect of the fear of God where he tells us not to fear and to trust in him But he also said there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And the word love here is uh, that highest form of love that is sometimes translated charity, and uh, that is that affection or benevolent and like I said, the highest form of love. And as you know, much could be said about the love of God. And in fact, we could stop and uh, preach a whole series of sermons on the love of God. But since so much has been said about love throughout First John, and we've emphasized 
somewhat a great deal and in the past have done sermons on love. Uh, we won't say too much about that because uh, you already know uh, a lot about it. And to know that this love is distinguished from that other word for love, which phileo, which is brotherly love. And as to the distinction between these two loves, one agape, the other is uh, 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 phileo. Uh, agape is is somewhat uh, denotes a love founded in admiration and veneration and esteem and esteem, whereas the other would be more uh, the inclination. Uh, prompted by sense and emotion. But he talks about here that perfect love casteth out fear. And I want us to focus our attention somewhat on this word perfect. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, sinlessness from that standpoint but it's the idea of complete uh, it could be complete with regard to labor or growth or mental and moral character uh, and when you have the definite article with it uh, the, per the perfect love it has the idea of completeness or full age or man brought to perfection. But I'd like to for us to get a uh, see how God uses this love a few places in the scriptures to get a better understanding. Because beloved we are going to be complete one day in natural life you know we normally think about or used to at least I don't know what this generation thinks today but kind somewhat think that a person has become uh, say a man or come to maturity are around 21 years of age, you know. So that's when a man becomes a man. Uh, of course, there are some that could be uh, sooner than that and some later. And uh, Very few people would be like uh, Alexander Hamilton, if I remember correctly. When he was at the age of 13, he was uh, running a plantation in the... Uh, in the Caribbeans. Uh, very few people have that uh, that much maturity at such a young age and yet there are some that you find that and then there are some people in life it seems like they never mature. <laughs> They're always somewhat uh, immature. But 
In Matthew 5, the first time this word is used, it's in the uh, what's called the uh, Sermon on the Mount. But he ends the fifth chapter of Matthew about loving your neighbor and how that we're to love our enemies. But uh, I'll just read uh, these last few verses. Actually, the word is used in the last verse, but ye have heard, beginning at verse 43, Matthew 5, ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now we all have to admit that's not an easy task. And it didn't say feel good about them, but it said to love them. That is, you do right by them. Verse 45, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? And then here's the word found two times. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. The idea is to be full grown, to be mature, to be complete. All right, we pass on to the 19th chapter of Matthew. And in verse 21, he's talking to the rich young ruler. And he said, if thou wilt be perfect, in other words, if you'll be complete, mature, not sinless, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. So you see this idea of maturity again. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'll read verse 1, but it's found in verse 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, it's fulfilling 
and in every way uh, complete as God would have us to live here in this world. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 6 Paul said how be it we speak wisdom among them that are perfect not the wisdom of this world nor the princes of this world that become that come to naught in other words Paul was not trying to convince unregenerate people uh, of the truth of the scriptures he was preaching to uh, the saints at Corinth he was writing to them and he tells them that uh, he determined not to know anything among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified and therefore he speaks about that we speak the wisdom among them that are perfect. In other words, we are speaking the truth of God to people who are complete in the Scriptures, that know the Scriptures, desire to live according to the Scriptures, and follow them. Uh, I believe I can say of this congregation as a whole, you are a perfect congregation. Not that you're sinless, but that you are well grounded. Uh, you read the scriptures daily. You seek uh, to worship God daily, not only in the house of the Lord. Uh, you uh, desire to live according to the scriptures. You see that you fail daily. You realize that you are sinners and that your only hope is in Christ Jesus and you delight in being at the house of the Lord in the congregation of the saints that's what that's what Paul is talking about he said I'm writing to you who are perfect I'm writing to you who are complete you're not immature Christians uh, there's there's things that you don't know there's th places where we all still have room for growth but overall, you're complete. Physically, you're complete. Uh, <laughs> in your uh, uh, upper 90s, uh, uh, lower 90s, excuse me, <laughs> don't let me make you more than what you are, but uh, as, uh, as human beings in a physical body, though weak, uh, though your age... Uh, tells on you you're still mature you're perfect doesn't mean that you have a body that you run a marathon or anything like that so this is this idea of perfect in the scriptures you're complete you're you're, you're rounded out you're you're filled out as it were all right uh, uh chapter 14 First uh, Corinthians. Paul writes and uh, exhort the congregation with regard to uh, the gifts of tongues and so on and other gifts. 
But in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, he says, well, no, I'll read verse 18. I thank God that I speak with tongue, excuse me, more than you all. Yet in the congregation or in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. In other words, Paul said, I'd rather speak five words that you understand than 10,000 words you don't even know what I'm talking about. You know, someone could be visiting here from another country. And we could say, I want you to lead us in prayer. And let's just say that they were from France. And so they pray here in the French language. It doesn't do me a bit of good. You say, well, they're praying. They're praying to God. You're praying to God. But I can't pray with them because I don't know the words. And what they're saying does not edify me. It doesn't build me up. It doesn't strengthen me because I don't know what they're saying. They'd have to say some words in French that I don't understand. And if they want me to understand it, then they'd have to repeat that same phrase in English for me. So Paul said, I'd rather say five words that you know than 10,000 that you don't know. But then he said in verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be children, but in understanding be men. Now, I don't know in... Uh, In your reference Bible, if it's a good reference Bible, it should have a reference by the word man, the men there, because that word for men in the Greek is this word for perfect. In other words, he's saying be perfect. In other words, be grown up. Be mature. And so you can see how by translating the word men, it gives an accurate understand or accurate interpretation, really, of the word perfect. It just means be mature, be mature. I've got several other passages here, uh, but I, I'll just read. Uh, well, I'm sure all of them are good, but let's just read a couple of more. First, uh, in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 2. But I'll read verse 1 for the context. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, 
The same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. There you see the word perfect man. In other words, a man, a, a, an individual that has control of his tongue. We say that man uh, is strong. That man is well disciplined. That man has it all together. That man is complete. Because each one of us from time to time say things that we wish we could take back. You know, the tongue is an unruly member. Who can tame it? Well, James says, the man that can guard his words and use his tongue wisely and not offend is a complete man. He's well-rounded. And then, this is our word here in 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Not a sinless love. Not a love that uh, that's just all time running over with passion. But a love that is mature. A love that is complete. And just on a natural level, when you have a love for an individual and a close camaraderie that bonds that love together and that individual goes astray and is doing something that is wrong you don't have any problem you don't have any reservations you don't have any fear in your gut about going to that person and telling them what they need to hear. Because you know that you love them, you know they love you, that, that, that's just that, that's there. But if it's someone that you really don't love and you know they're wrong, you're almost afraid to speak to them that you'll say the wrong thing. You have that uh, uh, knowing in the gut of your stomach, afraid that you're going to uh, upset the apple cart. But if that love is complete, there's no fear. There's no fear in love. And you can see that on a natural level. You can see that on a spiritual level. That love casteth out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. It grabs it by the neck of the collar and by the seat of the pants and throws fear out the door. Throws fear out the door. Uh, when you have a 
camaraderie with someone of that nature, uh, that's more precious than gold. That's more precious than gold. Because fear has torment. Fear has torment. And we all know what it is to be in torment. I tell you, if you're wanting to talk to someone and uh, try to encourage them and you don't know which way it's going to go, you just feel like you're shut up in solitary confinement in Alcatraz and no way out. That's torment. That's torment. But John is encouraging us in the perfect love, particularly in the day of judgment. Because he has said back, back as far back as in verse 15 or 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. John is writing to the saints here in order to encourage them to see themselves in the finished work of Christ. Notice what he says back in verse 17. Because as He is. How is Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's been declared righteous. He was raised again for our justification. And so are we. We are like Him. Notice. Because as He is, so are we in this world. In this world of turbulence, in this world of sin, sickness, sorrow, afflictions, in this world of our own sinfulness and ungodliness, we can see ourselves in the finished work of Christ and beloved we can go to Him not being afraid and casting all our care upon Him knowing that He cares for us. There's a lot of there's a lot of love in these verses. I wish I really knew how to 
talk about them. And we know, like I said, we know that fear has torment. Fear has torment. I well remember prior to my conversion being afraid during thunderstorms. And after the Lord converted me, there was a sense of peace in the midst of thunderstorms, of knowing that God was in control. I wish that I could instill the peace and the perfect love that is in Christ not only in the hearts of others but in my own. But I would encourage you to as much as lies within you this next week well even the rest of your life but think about these verses. Think about what God is telling us in these verses. Think about it as a sweet morsel that you are taking the time to run it over your tongue. Let it melt as it were to uh, suck out all of the flavor and the juices that God would have us to know in this. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. And I've got several uh, several verses here that you can look up on your own. Uh, you've asked me to give these to you and we'll print them out for you later. Uh, uh, I think it would do you more good to uh, look these verses up and kindly uh, think about them and uh, see the words and how it's used in these verses. I, I do want to take the time to read John Gill on this. He said, When love to the brethren appears to be perfect, that is, genuine and sincere, and a man knows that from the bottom of his heart he sincerely loves the saints. He concludes from hence, as he may, the truth of his faith, which works in this way, and this frees him from the fears of men and devils and of the future judgment and the wrath to come. Beloved, this is the reason why you don't fear the wrath of God is by meditating and contemplating on uh, these glorious truths. You know as well as I do, when we take our eyes off the Word of God and take our eyes off of the things of the Lord, we become somewhat trepidatious. 
in other words, we become somewhat anxious and fearful. We start looking at the news more than looking at the Lord and wonder what's going to happen. Uh, if, uh, and I'm not saying that we need to be foolish, but if there's a, a flu epidemic going around or colds or COVID or things of that nature, we're almost afraid to get out of the house. You know, we're afraid we might catch it. But when we, uh, and we might catch it, we don't know. Uh, evidently, I caught something uh, a couple of weeks back and I hadn't even gotten out of the house. So, you know, our times are in, in the Lord's hand. But it makes it so much better as we go about our daily activities trusting in the Lord. And as I said this morning about uh, fearing not and not being afraid, uh, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. You know, I, I, need, uh, I need the very same things I'm preaching. I haven't graduated. None of us have graduated. But he comes on down and he says, we love him because he first loved us. That's the only way. You know, we often talk about, well, I just don't see why people don't see this and understand it. It's because God hasn't opened their hearts. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would be no better than the rich man and the rich man's relatives. Abraham told the rich man, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't believe if one rose from the dead. And that's the only reason is God has worked in us. He loved us as He loved Jacob when he had done neither good nor bad. God didn't love us because we were the worst of sinners. And he surely didn't love us because we were the best of sinners. God loved us in eternity. And why He loved and set His affection on one and not another cannot be explained. He loved us before the world was created. John 17 tells us He loved us as He loved Christ. And I can't wrap my head around that. I know it. I believe it. But how? And the fact that He loves me as He loved Jesus is beyond my wildest understanding.
You say, are you sure about that? Well, I'm going to turn to John 17 and read those verses. I know you know them well, but it's good to cast our eyes upon them again and again. Listen, as our Lord was talking to His Heavenly Father. Verse, I'll take up in verse 23. I in them. Beloved Christ is in you. And thou in me. That they may be made perfect in one. There's that word again. I think I had it in my notes. I just chose to omit it a while ago. And that the world may know that Thou hast sent me. Now notice this. And hath loved them as Thou hast loved me. God loves you just as much as He loved Christ. God loves you that much right now. Just as much as He loved Christ. And just as much not only as He loved Christ in eternity, not only just as much as He will love Christ in eternity future. But He loves you right now just as much as He loves Christ right now. Didn't say you would feel it right now. I don't know how much we'll feel it when we're glorified. Surely more than we do now. But He loves you equally as much as He loved Christ. Why do we love Him? Because He first loved us. And then He goes on, Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given Me be with Me where I am. Wherever Christ is, wherever the human body of Christ is right now, you're going to be with Him someday. That's the truth. Jesus said in John 14, if it were not true, I would have told you. We love Him because He first loved us. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has torment. And beloved, the reason that you go to God in prayer and you're not afraid is because of the love of God that's abiding in you. Father, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. 
You know, we read this morning in Revelation 1, and we read also in uh, Matthew 17 of the Mount of Figuration, and we read about the glory of the Lord shining about the shepherds and and other places where the glory of the Lord was manifested and said, fear not. And we wonder what that glory is. Beloved, someday you're going to behold the glory of the Lord. Notice what he said. I will that they which thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Not only in verse 23 does the Father love us equally as with the Son, but He loved us before the foundation of the world just like He loved the Son. And He loves you now. You know why? Because it was His good pleasure to do so. I can give you many reasons why God should not love me. But that He did is beyond my wildest imagination. God loved us when we were polluted in our sins. Ezekiel 16, verses 1 through 6. Before we loved God, we did not love Him. Romans 3, verses 11 and 12. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Before we loved God, or no, we loved God before because he changed our hearts. He changed our hearts. We love Him because He first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, this is 1 John 4.20, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. It is obvious that we cannot love what we cannot see. We cannot love what we can uh, that excuse me. If we cannot love what we see how can we love what we can't see? John Gill said of this, For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, his person, which might have drawn out his 
affection to him and something valuable and worthy in him which might have commanded respect or his wants and distresses which should have moved his pity and compassion. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? It cannot be, though he should. The thing is not reasonable to suppose. It is not possible that he should. Of verse 21, and this is the commandment which we have from him, that he which loveth God loveth his brother also. Here's the uh, comments of Cecil Sanford. Uh, Y'all don't know Cecil Sanford. Uh, He passed away many years ago, but he was a preacher down in Mississippi, and I think I only met him once. But he wrote a little commentary uh, on uh, the scriptures, and Brother Reggie Rhodes put it in our Bible program, Sword Searcher, for us. I don't know where he got it, but anyway, Cecil Sanderford said, and I thought this was good, and we'll end with this, in spite of all the loud shouting and long protestations we make about our love for God, they are absolutely worthless unless we love our fellow man, and especially the children of God. Without this love of our brother, we are shown up to be liars. First, because it is an absolute impossibility to love God whom we have not seen if we do not love our brother whom we have seen. And... Excuse me. Without this love of our brethren, we are shown up to be liars. First, because it is an absolute impossibility to love God whom we have not seen if we do not love our brother whom we have seen. And who is made in and who is made in the image of God? And second, because if we love God, we would keep His commandments. And that commandment is that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. When we will not obey His commandments, we have no grounds for a claim that we love God. Well, we stayed in verse 18 this morning, but we finished the chapter (laughs) this afternoon. And as you will see, which I'll give you, there are many, many, many more passages that we could have used, but uh, I thought it best just to uh, omit those at this time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love.
and help us to emulate that love in a mature way to manifest that we are indeed your children. We ask that you would bless us to know that love in our heart and our souls above that which is in our heads. For it is in Christ we pray. Amen.